Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here with us today. Why should you listen to me? Honestly, I wouldn't listen to myself. It's the Word of God that we're here to, to listen to, and I believe that so strongly. Often when I prepare it for something like this, I think, wow, I only understand the half of it, but God's Word is powerful, it's true, and His Spirit takes His Word and reveals it to us. And so this morning, I trust that His Word is going to breathe life into us, and I pray that we will have fresh revelation of who God is and of how we should be interacting with God and how we should be living out our Christian walk. So I trust that you'll join me on this journey together this morning. So it's the final talk of the book of Galatians. Uh, we've had quite a little while in this book. It's been a great book. I thought I'd start with a recap because there's some parts of this book that are a little hard to get your head around. So why was the book written? Well, we've been singing this morning about our holy God. Our holy God. Well, there were people in Galatia who kind of felt that if God's so holy, then we probably got to do more effort uh, to, to meet up the standards of God. And that, there were people in the Galatian church who were basically saying that they needed to be circumcised, they needed to follow the, uh, the Old Testament law. Uh, so Gentiles were coming to the faith and they were getting put under this, these requirements, the, these laws they had to follow. And Galatians is quite a strong book that Paul writes. It's a, it's a strong message where he's saying, like, don't be foolish. You know, we've we spent thousands of years trying to follow the law. The law is a school teacher. It shows us how far we fall short of God and that we, we can't make ourselves right. We can't match the holiness of God. God is right, just, perfect. We can't match that. Why would you go back to trying to live a life where you're trying to earn your salvation, where you're trying to make yourself right in your own effort before God? It's foolishness, and he's quite strong with that. So that's why the book of Galatians was written. In the first two chapters, we have Paul defending the authority by which he speaks. He gives his a bit of his testimony, and he shows that he is an, an apostle of God. And he really drives point, the, the point home that it is all about Christ. The next two chapters, 3 and 4, is where he makes a defense of that it's by faith alone that we're justified. We're not justified by our works or by following the law. We're justified by faith. And he also brings out this really, really key point, which I, I love, where he says we're no longer slaves. We're not slaves to the law. We're not slaves to God or slaves to sin. He says we are sons. The spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. And I think that is so key for the Christian walk that we understand where we stand with God because God He's not like Pharaoh and the Israelites. The Israelites were slaves under Pharaoh. What did Pharaoh do to them? He worked them hard. He worked them to the bone. He said, make more bricks when they rebelled. He took their straw away. Make more bricks. Is that the God that we serve who comes to us and says, make more bricks? Earn your salvation. Do better. Be better. The spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. And now a lot of us, we haven't had perfect fathers. Some of us have had great examples. Some of us haven't. But we've got to understand God is the perfect father. And he loves us. He delights in us as his children. And that's what we see in this book, that the relationship we have to God is that of family. We have been brought into the family of God and we look to God as our heavenly father. Amen. What a beautiful truth that is. And we find that in the, in the chapters 2 and 4 of Galatians. Chapters 5 and 6, the end of the book, are where it really gets to what does the Christian life look like in the light of these gospel truths, in the light of what God's done for us, that we are saved by faith, we're not under the law, how should we live? What does the Christian life look like? 
And that's what we, uh, we had a great message last week on chapter 5. And chapter 6 really follows from that, and it's all intertwined. So uh, just briefly, what we see in chapter 5, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Free from the works of the flesh, free from the works of the law, free from striving for grace. We are free in Christ. When we grasp that, oh, what a wonderful thing it is. Because when you live your Christian walk, not trying to earn salvation, but rather knowing that God delights in you and loves you and he's saved you because of what he's done, and you realize it's this perfect, beautiful, heavenly gift that's been given to you, when you live out of that, wow, that, that is freedom. That is beautiful. And that is, that is the gospel. So it's for freedom that we've been set free. In chapter 5, it really talks about we now live a life in the spirit, a life in the spirit, and that's contrasted with a life in the flesh. Or trying to, try, trying to please God in our own strength doesn't work. Trying to live by our own will, our own desires doesn't work. But we are called to live in the spirit, pleasing God. And, uh, and another big theme that we get in this chapter is love, love. It really, really comes out. And I was really struck with this. I was meditating on this last night. I was just praying last night, God, help me to love. Help me to love, you know, because that, that's where it's at. Like, we can say whatever we want up here, but we don't have love. Like, it's, it, it, it means nothing, you know. You've got the, the famous passages that talk about that. But, man, God, help us to love. May we be a church that loves. And I, I'm so delighted. Some of the things I was changing someone early in the week and saying how he loves, how there's so much love expressed, that hope. And that is a great testimony to our church. But I want us to grow in that. So in verse, verse 6 of chapter 5, we read, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In verse 13, we read, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly, in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself verse 22 the fruit of the spirit is love we really see this point of love 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 and when we come to chapter 6 one of the first verses verse 2 we read carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ so there were teachers in Galatia who were trying to put a burden, a burden of works of following the law on these people. Paul says, no, 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 don't put a burden on them. Carry each other's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is he talking about? What law? Let's go to the book of John. We'll see what the law of Christ is, the command that he gives. And it's all about love. We're told that if we are uh, going to abide in Christ, we have to walk as he did. Christ is our example in everything. So let's go to the book of the Gospel of John. We'll start in John chapter 13. It's a famous passage where Jesus uh, is with his disciples before the Last Supper and he gets out a towel and a hand basin and he washes the disciples' feet. An act of service, an act of humility. The humble king, the servant king. He said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And that's the example we have to follow. So in John chapter 13, we have this example of love acted out, the action of love. And Jesus says in chapter 13, verse 34, a new command 
I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the law of Christ. When we love one another, when we love one another. In John 15 verse 12, John chapter 15 is just an amazing, amazing chapter. I've been living in it a lot this year and I found it pretty epic. In uh, verse 12, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. We had the command, we had the example. And so when we come to the, the book of Galatians, chapter 6, we realise that all, all these, um, these, these ways of living out the Christian life, they're all examples of love in action. Love in action. Because we're told not to just love in word, but to love in action and deed. It's what we do. It's not, not just a, a romantic love or a, um, a sentimental love or a, you, know, you play some classical music and you just go, ah, oh. I do that, yeah. But uh, it's, it's a love in action. And I was really thinking about these first few verses in chapter 6. Like what holds them all together? How do they all come together? And I really felt strongly that it all comes back to thinking about the church of Christ as a body, as a family, as a body. If we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 to 16, we hear, Instead, speaking the truth in love... We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ is the head of the body and from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is the picture of the church. We are a body we have different members, different functions, but we all work together. We love each other in unity. And it's a beautiful thing when you see that happening, when you see Christians living together in unity, loving each other, supporting each other, caring for each other, serving each other, servant love. So we come to this, the first verse of chapter 6. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. We need love here. We need love. We need love, first of all, to care enough when we see someone caught in sin. Because when we see people who are caught in sin and we know that they're, um, they're caught up, they're overtaken by it. Um, Hebrews 12, it says the sin that easily overtakes us. We know we live in a world that is against us. We have an adversary that is fighting and waging war against us. We know that it is a struggle. We know that we have times where we fall into sin. But what is our reaction when that happens? Well, often it's to ignore it. Often it's, we don't really want to get involved with that stuff. But is that love? No. Or we want to excuse it. We want to make allowances for it. That's, that's not love. Or we, or we want to condemn it. Come down hard. You see that when people make, do the big sins. We come down hard and condemn what, what are we called to do? To restore. It, it, if you've got something sick in your body, you're going to make every effort to make that right. I did my back in last week. It's horrible. And I'd put a lot, of, a lot of effort into making sure I didn't do any more damage and trying to restore that. We've got to love each other. Love each other. 
because we are all the body of Christ. When one part is hurting or sick, then it affects us all. We need to be caring for each other. And then if you go on further, carry each other's burdens. I mean, if you overload one part of your body, what happens? You get a lot of pain, a lot of pain. You, uh, if you overuse something, I mean, if you work in an office and you're using your, your hand all the time on a mouth, click, 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 RSI. Have you had that before? It's, it's pretty horrible. I've had times where I just feel like I just can't use my mouse anymore. And thankfully I've got a tablet and a pen and I can switch to that. But it's like you overload your, your body. Man, not good, not good. So we are a body. We're called to love each other, to serve each other. And when the body works like that, what a glorious thing it is. And then as we read on, we see, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, is verse 3, they deceive themselves. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, you know, if, if, if we go back to the, the body analogy, it's like, yeah, there's, there's different parts, there's different members of the body, there's different functions, and realize that we all play a part in that. Let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And it goes on to say, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. And I was thinking about this in the body. Like what happens when a part of the body doesn't do what it's supposed to do? It's not good, right? Another part takes over, yeah. And, and what does that lead to? Yeah, yep, yep. And I, I saw that just recently with my, with my back. I, I hurt my back playing tennis. I was bedridden for the, the next day, couldn't move. And for the month leading up to that, I'd had a, um, I'd had a strained thigh and it, very tight. And I'm pretty sure that's what led to my back going because when you're overcompensating for one muscle not being there, it leads to overburdening the other and your, your body sort of falls apart. It's like, yeah. So here he's saying... Each one should carry their own load. Each one should play their part. The body grows and builds itself up in love as each one does its part. And so we need to test ourselves because God says that we are each going to have to give account for our own actions. We're each going to have to confess before the throne of God. We have a role that God has given us in the church. We are all important in playing our role here in doing what God has called us to do. Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like for you, we each have different parts to play. But we need to be testing ourselves. Am I walking in the will of God? Am I serving? Am I following the example of Christ? And am I encouraging the body and loving and loving in action? Because it's all right to, to, to say it, but we need to be showing it by how we live. That's the example that Jesus gave. That's the example we need to follow. Love in action. And it's, it's interesting here because it has the whole thing about without comparing ourselves to someone else. Because, I mean, comparison, it's, it's been called the thief of joy. But I think it's also the killer of love. When you're comparing yourself to someone, you're competing with them. You're either seeing them as superior to you or inferior. It's not a way to build a healthy relationship. And, and it's also pretty, pretty ludicrous when you think, I was talking to Laura about this during the week. It's like, it's, it's kind of silly. Like, like I, I, I love my hands, okay? I use my hands for really cool things. I, should be, I don't love them like a hand model sort of thing. I, I love my hands for what they can do. I, I can hold paintbrushes with them. I can, I, can, I, can do, I can cook. Not that I do that very much. But it's just, <laughs> you can use your hands for so many wonderful things. I think, yeah, 
hands are really cool things. But the thing is, like when you're painting, for instance, it's not just your hands holding the paintbrush. You've got the whole motion from the shoulder. You're doing those sleeping gestural strokes, the whole body. I mean, sometimes when I paint, I stand up and I literally just, you're getting into it. Your whole body is moving and you're, you're involved. And you go like, why would you compare one part with the other? Like, it's, it's pretty silly. It's, it's not, each, each part has a role, has a function. Let's walk in that function that we have without comparing ourselves to others. There's, there's another verse in the Bible that says, those who compare them, themselves to others are without understanding. It's like, yeah, it's not, it's not the way to live. So we are a body of Christ. We're called to love each other, to serve each other. And I think it's important to know that we're not individuals. We're not islands. We're not uh, each walking our own individual journey with Christ. What we do affects those around us. When we are the men and women that God has called us to be, that has a massive effect on the world around us, on our family, on our church, when we step up and lead in the way that God wants us to, when we live that life, when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, when we are living in the Spirit and bearing that fruit, it is a blessing to every, everyone who touches your, your sphere. So let, let's be encouraged to live our lives for God, knowing that it's not just about us. We are one part of, of a big, big picture. But we come to Galatians chapter 7, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. Yeah, I said that with authority. Hey. <laughs> All right, no, I'm not going to write another chapter. That would be too much me. We come to chapter 6, verse 7 to 10. This passage here, to me, I see this as the climax of the book. To me, it's one of those amazing principles that has shaped my life uh, from an early age. Uh, let, me, let me read it. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Oh, it's a great passage. The truth in this, some of it I think is self-evident, but let's unpack this. Let's unpack this. This, this is a warning and it's also an encouragement. It starts off as a, as a warning. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, that's what you're going to reap. It's a warning. Be careful of what you're sowing. But it's also an encouragement. When you sow what is right, what is good, when you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap. You're going to reap eternal life. You're going to reap beautiful things. So it's a warning and an encouragement. And I want us to spend the rest of the time that I have here today looking into this passage. So first of all, it says, do not be deceived. Whenever you see... a a word like that in the Bible, I think it's a good idea to pay attention. Deception is one of those things that I think is, is, is one of the worst things that can happen to someone when they're deceived because they don't know it. That's the very nature of deception. You don't know it. And I, I just think, wow, what, what a horrible way to live where you think one thing is true and it's not. To be believing something that's a lie to be true, that's just 
wow, I, I don't want to be there. But deception is something that we are prone to. It's in our hearts. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We have these hearts that are deceitful. We constantly want to spin PR machines in our, inside us. We constantly want to spin everything our way to make us look better than we are, to make things go better for us. Deceitfulness. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin has a way of getting a hold of us, and then once it's in us, it wants to justify itself. It wants to make itself at home, and it wants to deceive us into thinking, yeah, that's the way, way things are, and that's the way things can continue. We need to be, be on guard, watching. And we're going to really realize it's not just from within, but it's from without. In, uh, in the last days, 2 Timothy says, Evil people will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We have outside forces that are coming against us, trying to deceive us, trying to take us away from the truth of the gospel. We have a world that is anti-God. We have media that is anti-God. We have entertainment that is based on assumptions and on values that are anti-God. We need to be careful that we're not letting them into us and being deceived by that by sins, deceitfulness, and by the deceiving of others. But also, the Bible warns that we have an adversary, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver. In, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve in the garden, Eve says, I was deceived by, by the serpent, by the devil. In Revelation, we read about the devil who deceives the world. So we are in a spiritual war, brothers and sisters. We are in a fight. And we need to be on guard. We need to be, be praying with the psalmist. Search me, O God. Know me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to be testing ourselves, seeing where we are. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Deception is not good. I hope you got that point. So what are we being deceived about here? What's he talking about here? He said, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God is not mocked. You can't outsmart God. You can't outwit him. You can't be too clever for him. You can't make, make light of, his, of what he's decreed, of how he's directed us to live. You can't outdo him. I, let me tell you about the first time this verse really became real to me. It was when I was in college, okay? And I was, it was in the context of studying, okay? I was not a very good studier. I was a procrastinator. I liked to put it off. One day, I had an assignment due, and uh, I knew about it for weeks. I didn't do anything about it. I just, I, you know, I was a busy man. Hey, social life. It was cool. I was having a good time. The night before this article was due, this assignment, I was like, ah, oh, Flip, yeah, I better do it. Better do it. The night dragged on. I think it was 11 o'clock before I started doing it. I don't know when I finished, but it was, uh, I didn't actually spend that long on it. Maybe about 12.30, I finished it. I went to bed. I handed it in. 
It's the only article, the only assignment that I ever got A pluses on. So what did this do to me? Did I feel great about this? Did I think, yeah, I've outwitted the system. I've outsmarted it. Like, yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to worry about all this, uh, this study and stuff. I can just rock up. I'll just cram it at the end. Bam, get it done. They even read that article out to the class, actually. So that's, that's a true story. I read this verse within that context, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, you know? I, I, I may have gotten away with it that time, but that is not a healthy way to live a life. And if we approach our spirituality, our walk with God like that, like, yeah, I'm just going to sort of do my own thing, live my own way, and, oh, flip, oh, Sunday's about to come, better make sure I'm right with God. Oh, quick, I better, uh, I better say a quick prayer here, quick, quick bit of Bible here, quick, get myself back where I need to be, and then go on, live my own way. It's like, hey, that doesn't work. You, you, you can't outsmart God. You can't, you can't live ex- just how you want to live and then expect that you're going to get the fruit of righteous living. You can't sow bad seed and get good fruit out of it. Does that make sense, yeah? Yeah. So that's when it first sort of hit me. I was like, yeah, I've got to be careful about the way that I'm living, the way that I live my life. Because when you look at this verse, it's very much about who we want to be. It's about looking to the future, yeah? We can think, okay, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I want that in my life. Think about... uh, Romans, where, uh, Romans 12, you know, it talks about our minds being renewed in the image of our creator. And we go, yeah, I want that. I want, I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. That's what I want. Well, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get that fruit? Well, I've got to sow the right seed. I've got to be sowing the right seed to get there. If, if I'm living in the flesh, doing my own thing, just got, living life on default... This good fruit's not going to just happen. It's not going to just say, like, one day I wake up and go, you know what, I'm a really good Christian now. It's like, what? I've, I've seen this lately with my, with my habits. You know, I, I, I'm still young, but I'm over 30 now. And there's one thing I've realized quite sadly, and that is that all these good habits that I see in people, especially in older people, and I thought, oh, yeah, one day I'll be able to you know, have my life sort of sorted out. It hasn't really happened unless I've intentionally made it happen. There's a time where you have to go, yeah, I'm over living this way and I want to live this way and you have to actually intentionally go about making the changes to grow in life. The, the good habits, good ways, of routines, they don't just magically happen. We, we sometimes have to learn the hard way that, yeah, you, if you live, live your own way, live in the flesh, pleasing your desires, your every whim, it, the results aren't actually very good. So what, can, what are we deceived about here? What can we be deceived about here? I, I think it's about the consequences of sin, of what it means to live in the flesh, to, to live on default, to not live in, in the spirit. What happens? Like the, there are consequences to the way that we live, big consequences. Here it says you will reap destruction. If you're, if you're not living according to God's ways, it's not going not to go well. And so we, we can't be deceived about that. But yeah, when... When I think about 
this verse, the thing that really has been coming to my mind is where it's talking about living by the Spirit. And what does that really mean? Because it's, I think living by the flesh is kind of easier to get. Do, 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 are you with me? Like you think living by the flesh, yeah, just, just doing what I want to do, basically. That, that's living by the flesh. Like it's pretty easy to do. It's pretty easy to live life just with myself at the center, with myself as Lord. Uh, my will goes. You know, it's pretty easy to live a self-centered life. Like, I get that. But when it says sowing to please the Spirit, I, that's a little bit harder. Like, what does that look like? How? Like, okay, let's walk in the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Yes, but how? How? And we know it's super important because, yeah, we want good fruit in our life. We want this fruit. How are we going to get it? What does that look like? And in this, I've really been struck by the, funnily enough, the example of Jesus, or what it looked like to Jesus. I've been in John chapter 15 a lot lately, as I said. And when I look at that, at what Jesus says, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, it, uh, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And he says, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. I was thinking, what, what did Jesus' walk look like with the Father? Let's have a look at a couple of verses here. John chapter 5, verse 30. Let's turn there. John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus says, by myself, I can do nothing. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Okay. So Jesus is saying, it's true here, I can do nothing by myself, but I seek not to please myself, but him to seek me. So I think that's our first clue for what it looks like to, to walk in the Spirit. Realise that we can do nothing of ourselves and anything that we do do of ourselves in our own motivation, our own flesh, it means nothing. It's of, it, it won't produce the right results. But when we are listening to the Father and following His lead in everything that we do, taking it all to Him, that's, that's where it's at. Let's go to John 6 verse 38 just a, a little bit over the page John chapter 6 verse 38 Jesus said I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me not my will but your will not, not sowing to please myself but sowing to please the spirit to please the father Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And you've got to think, what does that look like? A life where we live constantly trying to please God. Not out of a sense of striving to be made right with him, but out of a sense of, of, of sonship, of being sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And going, okay, I want to take this, this life that I have and live it for you, God. I want to live it for you. What does that look like? Well, Pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, when you, when you see somebody who's living a life that's just 
characterized by a love of God and a, a desire to seek Him and to serve Him and to lay it over to Him. Wow, it's a beautiful thing. And the effects and the fruit of that are eternal and long-lasting. And so I would urge us to take our lives, every part of it, to God and go, Lord, is this pleasing to you? Is this pleasing to you? Our routines, our habits, the way that we live in every moment by moment. This is not just the big things in life. It's the, the, the character of our life should be that of being pleasing to God so we can live lives worthy of him. And the fruit of that will be absolutely beautiful. And we see in Galatians here, it says that, you know, sometimes we don't see it for a while. Sometimes we think, yeah, I'm, I'm selling good things, but I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing this. But he's like, don't give up. Don't give up. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And again, that's that love in action. We are the body of Christ. We need to be serving each other, caring for each other, lifting each other up, following the example of Christ. Because Christ, our Lord, our King, he came to, down to earth to serve. And that's the example we are to follow. So we have a, a lot in this passage and a lot of practical things that we can get out of here. Um, I don't know that I've gone too practical today. I, part of my, as I was looking through this, I was thinking, I don't, I don't want to lay laws on people. The whole book of Galatians is about freedom, freedom from that. So I don't want to come in and say, oh, this is what you should be doing. And, and I really fought hard about this because th there's actually some revelation I've had from this passage that have been really um, applicable to my life and that I feel are helpful for another, another occasion. But today, I really just wanted to turn us back to the example of Christ and that whole living a life that is pleasing to God and, and, and taking our life to God. Like, I, I'm not going to say, you know, this is how you should live. I'm not going to say, oh, this is pleasing to God. Like, you have the Spirit within you. You have access to the Father. Take your life to Him. Test yourself. See how you're living. And ask God, what do you think about this, God? What do you think about the way that I'm living? What do you think about this life that I'm living and about how I'm conducting myself, what I'm filling my time with, what I'm watching, what I'm consuming, how I'm acting? I'm not going to give you laws or... or so much practical stuff today as much as saying take it to God and go Lord show me show me your heart and show me how I can live in a way that pleases you and the fruit of that you will not you will not regret you will not regret so today I want to finish by praying a prayer that Paul prays for the Colossians I don't want to just read this out. I want, to, I want to pray this. I want to pray this over you. Pray this. Let's pray it together. You can uh, follow along. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Let's pray this together. I'll give you a moment to find it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. God, we ask you, we ask you, Lord, to fill us with the knowledge of your will. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, give us the knowledge of your will, Lord. Show us how you would have us to live, Lord. Show us what you want us to do. Show us how we can turn our lives over to you, Lord.
Fill us with the knowledge of your will, Lord, through your spirit. Lord, so that we can live a life that's worthy of you, Lord, and that we can please you in every way, in every way, that we can turn our lives over to you and know that every part of us, every aspect of our lives are submitted to your lordship, to your kingship, and is pleasing to you as our heavenly Father. Lord, that we can bear fruit in every good work, Lord, because we know that it is to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. We want to live lives, Lord, that bear fruit, that are fruitful, fruit that remains, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, growing in our knowledge of you, Lord. Lord, that we would grow every day in our understanding of you, Lord, in our knowledge of who you are and of what you've done for us, Lord, of your grace, of your mercy, of your love, Lord. Lord, that we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we would have great endurance and patience. So, Lord, even when we, we can't see the results, even when it feels like there's no harvest, Lord, that we would not grow weary in doing good, that we would not give up serving each other, caring for each other, loving each other, Lord. Lord, help us in this. And, Lord, we give joyful thanks to you, our Father. We give joyful thanks for your, the love that you've lavished on us, Lord, that we can be called your children, that we can cry out to you through the Spirit, Abba, Father. We give joyful thanks to you, our Father, because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. God, I thank you for this truth, Lord. I thank you for this truth, Lord, that we've been brought into your heavenly kingdom, that we have an inheritance, that we are heirs of glory. Oh God, for you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and you brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, I thank you that you brought us from darkness into light, that in you, in Christ, there is freedom. God, I thank you that you have set us free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. I thank you that in you we have life, in you we have victory Oh, God, fill us with your spirit anew. Empower us, Lord, to live according to your ways, to be pleasing to you, to bear fruit, Lord. And, God, we thank you for the grace that you poured out in us. We know we are not worthy. We know that we can't strive to be good enough. We know that we can't do enough in our flesh, Lord, to ever be pleasing to you. But, God, we thank you that you've made the way for us, Lord, to be set free from darkness, set free from our sins. You've made a way for us to be whole, to be forgiven, to walk in life and freedom. God, we thank you for bringing us into your heavenly kingdom. Oh, to you we give glory and praise and honour. In Jesus' name, amen.